Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. Dag Hammarskjöld was the youngest of four sons born to a prominent Swedish family in 1929. His father, Jalmar Hammarskjöld, was a former prime minister of Sweden, a member of the Hague Tribunal, and chairman of the board of the Nobel Foundation. Given that impressive pedigree, it's not surprising that young Dag, though trained as an economist, chose a career in public life. In fact, he was such a rising star that in 1953, he was named Secretary General of the United Nations at age 47. He is the youngest person ever to hold that responsibility. The 1950s were a tumultuous time in world affairs. As the Korean War drew to a close, the Cold War heated up, bringing the threat of nuclear world war. Armed conflict erupted in Vietnam, and the Suez Crisis threatened to bring all-out war to the Middle East. The communist revolution took place in Cuba, and bloody anti-colonial conflicts erupted across the African continent. Beyond that, a string of natural disasters created humanitarian crises in Algeria, Haiti, Uruguay, and Japan. As the man charged with bringing 193 nations together to resolve conflicts, promote peace, and above all, prevent another world war, Hammerschold faced unbelievable pressures. During the Suez Crisis, Hammerschold was denounced as being pro-Egyptian. Others claimed that he advocated an expansionist role for the United Nations, thereby compromising its authority and effectiveness. Still others called him a sellout to the United States. All of the great powers complained about Hammerschold's independent leadership, and Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev even tried to force his resignation. How did the mild-mannered Secretary General navigate his way through one of the most tumultuous and violent decades of the 20th century? His little-known secret, revealed only after his premature death in 1961, is that Dag Hammerschold was an inveterate journaler. Found and published after his death, Hammerschel's journal, called Markings, has become a classic of personal spiritual writing. It was his refuge from the withering criticism of others and the incalculable stress of managing world affairs. It was a laboratory for working out his own thoughts and determining how to be a leader in a chaotic world. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, I'll give you a simple pathway to get started on a practice that can greatly improve your self-awareness and your leadership, journaling. We all know that being a great leader means practicing self-awareness. We've talked about that here on the podcast several times, but that's incredibly hard to do in a consistent way. Today, we'll show you how the simple practice of writing for a few minutes a day can help you avoid making mistakes based on pride or ignorance and make solid decisions by being aware of your own motivations. So, Dad, you haven't always been a journaler, right? So why has this become a discipline for you in recent years? Yeah, well, I always loved the idea of being a journaler, yeah. but I could never stay with it. You know, I tried a couple of times and just gave up on it. I mean, it just seemed like too much work. Yeah. And then right after I left the corporate work environment, um, Mom and I decided to take a month off mm-hmm. and just, you know, kind of collect our thoughts and think about what was next and kind of plan this next chapter in our lives. And she suggested that I start journaling. And I kind of rolled my eyes and she said, no, really. 
And so she had me read a book, and I don't remember what it was now, but she had me read a book on journaling. Hmm. And I thought, okay. And she was getting some real meaning from it at the time, yeah, from the process. And so she just challenged me. She said, I want to encourage you to try to do this for a week. And if you don't like it after you've done yeah, it for a week, I like that. then you don't have to do it. And so I reluctantly agreed. And that was six years ago. And I've been a steady, consistent journaler ever since. Amazing. So uh, true confession here. I am not a regular journaler. And the reason for that is largely because my morning routine, which is I think when I would do it, has been pretty compressed because I have young kids and mm-hmm. it just hasn't fit in. But I think I'm kind of getting into a season where that might make sense. So I'd love to hear from you um, how you found journaling to be beneficial. Well, really more than anything, I think it's helped me become a more self-aware leader. And we've talked mm-hmm. about self-awareness a lot on this show. Right. And I think it's one of the key attributes of effective leaders is that they're self-aware. But if you don't have any time in your life to process what you're going through, yeah, to really reflect on what you're experiencing, you're not going to be very self-aware. You're just moving too fast. Journaling is an opportunity to process previous events, to clarify your thinking, to see yourself in the context of a bigger story. And even for me, this is especially important to somebody who's an Enneagram 3. Hmm. If you don't know what that is, it's fine. But if you do... Um, it's hard for me to be aware of my feelings because I tend to just stuff them, yeah. you know, in order to uh, pursue uh, objectives. But to connect with my heart, reflect on the lessons I'm learning, and ask the important questions that, that lead uh, to deeper thinking. That's fantastic. So there are two types of self-awareness. There is the internal type of self-awareness where it's knowledge of your inner self. And then the external type is seeing uh, yourself as others see you. And so how do you think journaling gets at both of those types of self-awareness? Well, I think it gets at the internal one because it gives you a chance to just kind of check in on what you're thinking and feeling Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I think also as you process the events that you go through, you know, we don't usually have an opportunity in real time to be that reflective. We're just reacting That's or initiating, mm-hmm. you know, or working through it. But oftentimes the insight comes to me the day later, and I happen to journal in the morning, and I usually journal. I start by talking about what happened the previous day. Well, after I've had a good night's sleep and a cup of coffee, <laughs> I have perspective. And so I can put that event or those events in perspective and really kind of understand where they fit as part of the whole. I like that. You know, there are a lot of great leaders who've kept a journal of their thoughts, ideas, and discovery, not just artists. You know, it's kind of easy to think maybe it's just yeah. people who are creatives, but it's it's not. Thomas Edison, for example, Leonardo da Vinci, Lewis and Clark, Mark Twain, Harry Truman, General George Patton, Theodore Roosevelt. I mean, it's a pretty long list, and that's just a little taste, I'm sure. Um, but it seems to be a common thread among many great leaders, either um, of the world or uh, thought leaders or whatever, um, that they're they're taking time to reflect, which is just really um, kind of out of our frame of reference today, I think. It is, because I think we live in a world that's moving so quickly yeah. and where speed is valued over um, you know, deep reflective thinking, but I think that was not always so. You know, in the past, people were more likely to journal. It was a more of a cultural practice, but we don't have that much to support that uh, today. But in my experience, a lot of leaders are rediscovering this. Okay, so every leader can develop greater self awareness by journaling, but let's face it, most of us are not particularly good at this. So, Dad, you've promised five simple steps to get us started on this discipline. I have to be honest here. Like I said, I was a dedicated journaler. I know you were. Kind of like up until my 
mid twenties. And what then, happened? Well, I got married. I had kids. And Life some, happened. That's what suddenly happened. my morning routine, you know, became drastically shorter. And I, by the way, did not journal in any kind of app. I mean, there really wasn't one back then. But I was journaling in, you know, on paper in beautiful journals. I have boxes of journals in my closet right now that I've saved. How long did you do it for? For my whole life, probably from like middle school to my, you know, mid twenties, and then wow. I've just stopped. So really, for the last. 10 plus years, I really haven't done anything. Um, And so having a family has made it difficult to integrate this practice into my routine. And I imagine with our listeners, they're probably thinking, you know, or having some similar objections, like I don't have time for this, but I'm really eager to kind of have an open mind and consider this in a new way, in a new season of life and see if it's something that I can integrate. Okay. So I could just guilt you into this. (laughs) Or I can try to convince you. Good. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I Seriously, I think there's a lot of good reasons. And I think, honestly, in what I'm going to share, it's going to make it very easy. Great. Because when I first started journaling, it was hard. I didn't like the idea of looking at a blank sheet of paper. Right. But once I started, I've got some practices, some hacks that could make it uh, really easy. So step one, name your why. Hmm. Okay, so self-awareness is a great motive. And Meg, you need this. Right. I mean, you're a growing leader, right? And you know that you need more self-awareness. But knowing that and coming up with a practice where you can express it and cultivate it are two different things. Well, and honestly, the busier you feel, the more you need this. Because the busier you are, the less time you have for any kind of reflection or intentional time of cultivating self-awareness. So I can see the value of that. Well, it's almost like mini therapy. Right. <laughs> like if you go to a therapist, and I know you've done that, and I've yes. done that work too. But when you go to a therapist, you get a chance to process what's happened. Mm-hmm. So it might be something in the recent past or in the distant past, but you've got a chance to process your feelings and to kind of get it out there. Well, journaling is really the same way. So again, to process important ideas, to capture a life event, like there's things that happen that I don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. And if I don't record that, I'm definitely going to lose it. Or to find a solution to a life or a career problem. And sometimes a theme will stretch for days over the course of my journaling Hmm. as I work through the problem, as I try to come to a solution. Um, To kickstart a a discipline or a habit, it's a great place to record your progress on that. Hmm. And just to hone your writing skills. You know, I probably write 500 words every morning. Hmm. And it's kind of cool. I mean, even if I don't do anything else, I'm writing on a daily basis. And that's very helpful. So I think the takeaway here is that without some kind of a compelling why, like from the list that you just mentioned, journaling can just become another t- item on your to-do list. Right. So, and that's not what we want. We're, we really need to connect it to something that's more meaningful. Yeah. And by the way, one why that I don't think is good is because you want to leave your posterity, you know, something from your right. legacy. Uh, I think that actually inhibits good writing and honest journaling. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to have it locked up or if you use a digital solution to, you know, password protect it, something where you're where you're saying, look, I don't want anybody to ever read this or to ever find it. If they do and they can break the code, great. But I, I don't want to write conscious that somebody may read this someday. So along those lines, how much freedom do you give yourself to just be brutally honest in your journal? Well, I probably dial it back from brutally honest. <laughs> you know why that's interesting uh, that, yeah it's interesting but there's something about being brutally honest and putting it out there that is a little bit scary sometimes yeah but i also want to say that the words i use to describe the situation i'm in also shape that reality huh so if i kind of dial it up in the drama 
You know, I mean, I, I, I can choose how I'm going to express it. So it's not really cathartic. That's not your, it's not that's cathartic. not your why. No, that's, it's, that's exactly, it's not my why. It's a processing tool. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be a little bit objective and think about the experience. And I don't want to make it more intense or my feelings more intense. Just the adjectives you use, you know, can dial up the drama or dial down the drama. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I just try to be careful about that. So I'm not brutally honest. If by brutally honest, you mean, you know, do I just hype it up and put it all out there. So you're saying that your your journaling now is probably different from what I was doing when I was in middle school, for example. Oh, probably. <laughs> Where everything's dramatic. Right? That's right. Oh, that's great. So apparently, Madeline Langle agrees with me. She said, if you want to write, you need to keep an honest, unpublishable journal that nobody reads, nobody but you. So step one in our beginner's guide to journaling is to find your why. So where do we go next? Yeah, you got to choose a format. And there's a ton of options out there. There's electronic, Mm -hmm. day one. That's what I've used for most of my journaling career. Mm -hmm. I'm just moving to paper now. But uh, day one is a fabulous solution. Uh, I love it. It's got a lot of wonderful features. It's one of those apps that just gets out of the way and just lets you write. For you geeks out there, if you're used to writing in multi-markdown, uh, it does use that, and I love that. But there's other op- other ones out there, too, like LiveJournal, Penzu, Journalate. You could use Evernote. You could use a Word doc, a Google doc. It doesn't have to be fancy. The important thing is not where you're keeping it, mm-hmm. but uh, that you are keeping it. Or paper. And for all the reasons we mentioned in the last episode, mm-hmm. I'm moving to paper because I think that is going to slow me down even further right. and give me a chance to even better reflect. One of the things that happens when you're writing on paper is that you kind of have to think about right. what you're going to write before you write it. And you can't write as fast as you're thinking. That's right. So it slows you down in a good way and gives you a chance uh, to process it. And in fact, we're launching our own full focus journal, and this will be a product that will be using as well as selling. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I know that when I uh, was journaling, I really enjoyed the experience of writing on paper. And there was something mm-hmm. that um, the self-expression, the clarity that I got from it, just the whole experience of writing, the whole experience of journaling was made richer by actually writing because I think it helped me process my emotions more effectively yeah. than I could have written them. I like that too. All right. So what about this question of security? Because this is the big fear that somebody's going to find your journal and read it. Yeah. And I would say, kind of to go back to the previous point, I'm not putting things out there that are so raw that I would be embarrassed if somebody read it. I mean, it may be a little bit uncomfortable in some points, you know, especially when I'm talking about, you know, somebody that others may know. But for the most part, I'm not getting down and dirty on that. I'm processing things about me. Right. I'm not talking about other people. This is not, you know, gossip by some other name. I'm talking about me and my mm-hmm. perceptions of what's going on. But having said that, if you're using an electronic journal like day one, you can use password protection. You can use end-to-end encryption. So they've got a new feature hmm. where you can encrypt it from the moment that it leaves your computer to the cloud. Wow. So it's, you know, pretty strong. For a paper journal, though, I'm just going to do with it what I would do with a checkbook or anything else that was valuable, a will or some other document. You know, keep it in a drawer. If you want to, you can lock it up. Yeah, I kind of think that this is one of those almost irrational fears that gets overblown. Yeah. It's just not really that big of a deal. You know, like we 
nobody's thinking about you more than you're thinking about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's one of your famous quotes and I love it. Yeah. It's, it's not like people are just dying to get in your journal and read hundreds of pages of your thoughts, you know? Well, if they get it after you're dead, yeah. what do you care? You're Who gone. cares? That's right. Exactly. Well, I'm a big fan of keeping a daily journal. My journal has allowed me to clarify my thoughts, process my feelings, and make better decisions as a leader. The problem is that most of our students and customers that want a journal struggle with it. Why? Well, for starters, it's hard just to slow down and write. And it's difficult to know where to begin. And it's a little bit scary staring at a blank piece of paper. Well, that's exactly why I created the Full Focus Journal. This contains a template of eight questions that I designed to answer every day. So keeping a daily journal just got easier. It's as simple as answering each of these questions and you can do it in as little as 10 minutes a day. It helps me continue my growth as a leader and practice gratitude. This is your solution if you wanna grow in self-awareness, eliminate nagging thoughts, and make each day better than the last. But there's more. There's another new product in our Full Focus Planner lineup. In addition to the journal, you can also get the Full Focus Notebook. It's a paper note-taking system that follows you around every day, and it pairs beautifully with the Full Focus Planner. If you find yourself running out of note-taking space, or you just want additional notes or additional pages, the Full Focus Notebook is the tool for you. With these tools in your arsenal, the Full Focus Planner, the Full Focus Journal, and the Full Focus Notebook, we're positive you'll be able to win at work and succeed at life. And you can find out more at fullfocusplanner.com, fullfocusjournal.com, and fullfocusnotebook.com. There are links in the show notes. Great. So step one in our beginner's guide to journaling is to find your why. And step two is to pick your format. And that brings me to the big question for all journalers. What do I write about? Well, that brings us to step three, pick a template. Now, the scary part of journaling for me when I first started was looking at a blank computer screen because I was doing it digitally at the time. And I think for people that are writing in a paper journal, just looking at that paper thing, you know, a blank piece of paper is overwhelming. Yeah, I have to say, like, uh, before you get into the specifics here, before talking with you about this, this never occurred to me. I mean, I've never heard of people using a template for journaling. I just figured you sat down, you got your pen, you got your journal or or whatever you're going to use, and you just started writing, you know, whatever came to mind, kind of like stream of consciousness. Right. And so the idea that there could be structure to it is like pretty revolutionary and frankly, takes a lot of the anxiety out. Well, as you know, I'm the template king, right? (laughs) So I try to template everything I do. (laughs) And I find if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, there's probably a process that I can engineer that makes it easier and more effective. And I think that's what having a template does. So when you're beginning, a template is really helpful because it answers that what to write question. And it brings consistency to your daily writing. So what I want to do is just share the template that I've been using now for almost six years, the template that we include in the Full Focus Journal. So there's basically eight questions that you answer every day. And you can be as elaborate or as brief as you want to be. So question number one, what happened in the past day? So if you're journaling in the morning, this refers to yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. If you're journaling at night, this refers to the day just ending. But here's where you want to just record the events. And typically for me, and I don't know how how you are, the days go by so fast, I usually have to have my calendar open and look at what I did. So true. And, And usually... 
there's some pretty significant things that happened. Again, I'm doing it in the morning, so I'm talking about the previous day. There's usually pretty significant things that happen mm-hmm. that I want to remember. So I record sort of the highs and the lows, anything I want to remember later or anything that was unique or just memorable about that. Number two, second question, what were my biggest wins? Mm. This gives me a sense of momentum with which to start the day. I like to begin with where I'm winning. Now, here's the thing. As humans, we have a choice. We can focus on where we're losing or we can focus on where we're winning. Mm -hmm. It's just perspective. The truth is we're doing some of each. But as long as we have the choice that we can focus, I'd rather start by focusing on my wins and get a sense of momentum, build my confidence. And and I think it's actually a better perspective because we're probably winning more mm-hmm. often than we think, right. particularly for people that are high, high achievers. If they're not careful, they focus on where they're losing. You know? No doubt about it. Number three, question three, is what lessons did I learn? Now, this is not very long, but I just try to, to ask myself, was there anything that I learned in the last 24 hours that I don't want to forget? Oftentimes, probably more than 50% of the time, it's a lesson that I know that I just had an opportunity to relearn. <laughs> right. Right. So it's not new and some blinding insight. It's a repetition of something that I already mm-hmm. know, but now I have a new illustration or a new experience or a new memory uh, to illustrate it. Question four, what am I thankful for right now? So this is where I kind of transition into the present. And for me, it's things like, you know, I'm thankful for a good night's sleep mm-hmm. or I'm, you know, I'm just thankful that I get to to wake up in a in a warm home, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, clean clothes and running water and all that stuff. I mean, it could be as as trivial right. as that, but to just remind myself that, you know, the things that I have are things that I need to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is an important one for me. Question number five, how am I feeling right now? Now, feelings aren't the be-all, end-all, but they're a clue. And in the past, as I mentioned earlier, I tended to ignore those or suppress them mm-hmm. And then I would wake up, you know, really anxious and not really knowing why. Mm-hmm. And so this gives me a chance just to kind of take my pulse at an emotional level and just say, how am I feeling? Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, for me, most of the time, thankfully, because I've learned to control my emotional life, um, I'm feeling optimistic. I'm usually, I really try to work on my rest, so I'm usually feeling well-rested. But, uh, but not all the time. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm feeling overwhelmed. I might mm-hmm. be angry. Right. Could be a lot of different things. But I want to record those because I'm looking for patterns as I go back and review my journal and just want to monitor my emotional health. I think it's important. It's great. The number six, what did I read or hear? And here I list important books, articles, passages, or podcasts I consumed since I last journaled. And honestly, for me, because I read the Bible every morning, mm-hmm. I'm usually trying to look for some passage, something that stood out to me in my reading. And then uh, question seven, what stood out? I don't want to learn or lose what I learn in my reading and listening, so I record key insights. And usually that's just one insight, but something that struck me in my reading or my listening that I don't want to forget. Mm -hmm. And then question eight, what can I do next to move forward on my goals or important projects? So sometimes this is a goal. Sometimes it's an important project. They're not the same. But it's important to kind of identify um, what it is I'm going to do today and what is it that I can distill from the goals that I do have and the important projects. This feeds directly into my Daily Big Three and my Full Focus Planner, so which is another product that we have. So for me to answer those eight questions takes roughly 15 minutes. 
So your mileage may vary. So dad, do you feel like using a template limits you or frees you up? I think it frees me up. It gives me a track to run on. Yeah. You know, it's the same reason I use a template for everything, whether I'm writing a book or doing a chapter or writing a blog post, a template gives me a track to run on. So I'm not wondering, oh, what comes next? I don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. I've got a good template. And by the way, this has been tested for almost six years. So this is not like something I cooked up last week and I'm trying to see how it works. Right. No, I've done this in the highs and the lows of my life over the course of nearly six years, and it served me well. I like that. It definitely uh, is the antidote to the blank page. So I can see where that would be effective. All right. So step one in our beginner's guide to journaling is to find your why. Step two is to pick a format. Step three is to choose a template. But frankly, after doing all that, it's still a challenge to sit down and write every day because we just forget. I mean, that's half the battle is remembering to do it. That's right. And that brings us to step four, use an activation trigger. And what I mean by that is something that's a prompt to act. So for example, when I was first starting to run, I noticed that the most difficult part of the run was from my bed to the closet to put on my running clothes, Hmm. right? Right. And so, you know, there were times when I would just bail out of that and just blow it off. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I started doing as an activation trigger was laying out my running clothes the night before, and I put them right in the bathroom between me and the toilet. So I (laughs) saw them on the way. That was always the first place I visited when I woke up. So they were my running clothes. So, you know, made it easy, a reminder that I needed to put those on and get out and run. So an activation trigger when it comes to journaling could be a number of things. You could use a calendar reminder. What I've done is made it part of my morning routine. Mm -hmm. So it's the third thing I do every morning and I do it every morning and I know what becomes before it, what comes after it, and it makes it very easy. You could also put the journal on a, a breakfast table or on your pillow if you do it at night. For me, because I've been doing it digitally, I just leave it open on my computer. So the night before, it's opened up. And when I get there in the morning, that's the first thing I see. Well, I think the strongest activation trigger of all is probably seeing the physical journal. And I can imagine in my morning routine, the first thing I do is get coffee. And the second thing I do is I have a book that's my daily devotional. I do that for about you know five or seven minutes. And then I could imagine if those were always stacked together, then it just sort of automates the what's next part of the process, which makes it really easy. Yeah. Perfect. All right, so true confession moment here. Besides the fact that I'm not already journaling, I have a little bit of an issue with perfectionism. So let's say, hypothetically, that I missed a few days (laughs) of my journaling routine. I mean, how do you get over that? If the whole point of this is to be consistent, but, you know, life happens and you're not consistent, and then you feel shame. I mean, maybe this is starting to become a therapy (laughs) kind of issue here. But seriously, I think one of the obstacles is that it can feel daunting to take up a new habit, you know, and you wonder if you can be consistent. So what would you say to that? Well, one of the things I suggest is that when you're taking on a new habit, that you come up with a compliance standard. Hmm. And what I mean by that is think of it as a game. And how many times in a row do you have to do it to be successful? In other words, you give yourself a fudge factor. Right. Oh, I've actually already done this. You have? I'm having a light bulb moment. Okay. So when I, after, um, so my youngest two sons are adopted after they came home from Uganda, I was trying to reestablish a morning routine and it was really difficult because things were crazy. They were little, they often woke me up in the morning. So it wasn't like I got to wake up an hour and a half before they didn't have a great morning routine. So I had to come up with something really simple. And so I started this devotional that just took me about five minutes to complete. And that was my entire morning routine besides coffee for a long time. 
One of the things that I found, though, is that I would give myself permission to not do it on the weekends. Perfect. So I just would do it Monday through Friday and then just no pressure on the weekends. And honestly, if I even missed one more day, if I got four days in my own mind, totally. I felt great about it. Yeah. And I think this, that's what you're really saying here. Yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, for my journaling, I probably get five out of seven days. Yeah. But I never doubt whether I'm going to pick it up again. I don't shame myself when it happens. Not a big deal. Right. Right? I mean, if I'm journaling five out of seven days... Or even four out of seven, some weeks six out of seven, some weeks I nail it, seven out of seven. But who cares? Right. You know, we're looking at the trajectory, not those individual days. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. So for in the pursuit of any habit, come up with a compliance standard, like like you just said. Like if I give yourself permission to miss on the weekends mm-hmm. or to even miss during the week. Right. There are times when we have very busy weeks and maybe an early morning and I'm not able to go through my quiet time or my journaling. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Right. You know, it's, it's not like... There's the journaling police <laughs> that they're going to show up at your door right. and say, look, I got to have that journal back because obviously you're not worthy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so glad we covered that. Now I know. Good. Good. All right. So step one in our beginner's guide to journaling is to find your why. Step two is to pick a format. Step three is to choose a template. Step four is to set up an activation trigger. But here's another question. How long do I have to keep doing this? I mean, is this like a lifelong habit or like that I have to commit to from the get go or, you know, what are we talking about? It's a sentence. (laughs) Okay. That brings us to step five, Meg. Commit to a trial period. This is how I sucker myself into doing so many things. <laughs> That's true, you do. Because if you think it's going to be, you know, forever, I remember when I first started on Periscope. I mean, do you still remember what that was? Right. Right. Mostly a disaster. So that was, uh, it wasn't a disaster. It was well, awesome. At the end, it was pretty disastrous. But it was, it was one of the first live streaming platforms. And the thing that I loved about it is I committed to do it for 30 days, and that's all I did it. But I wanted to develop my capability Mm -hmm. to do live video, and I was scared to death of it. By the time I got done with that 30-day experiment, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. I had so much confidence in doing live video, and that served me well right up until this day. Right. But I would have never done that if I had said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I did the same thing when I started blogging. I did the same thing when I started running. I did the same thing when I started strength training. Everything I've done, I've treated it as a trial period. And it's also very easy to sell other people on this idea too. And this is how I'm selling you on it. I'm not asking you to commit forever. Just try it. So don't think of it as a lifetime commitment. In fact, what I would encourage you to do is to try it for 30 days. Okay. Or if you really want to get serious about installing it as a habit, like maybe you're already convinced then we know that it takes more than, you know, certainly the proverbial 21 days to install a habit. Sure. Uh, the research shows that it's typically 66 or on average 66 days, but make it six weeks, okay? So whatever it is, pick a time and just say, I'm going to be faithful to do this. I'm going to try to do this every day. Or if you have a compliance standard that says you can be off on the weekends, mm-hmm. that's fine. But to do it for the number of weeks and then evaluate. And honestly, if it doesn't serve you, don't do it. Life's too short. Well, I have a feeling um, since I've been a journaler in the past that I will rediscover a love for uh, journaling in this new season. So what I'm going to do is commit to a month because I want to make sure about that before I install it as a habit. So I'll reevaluate at week four and then decide if I want to continue for another couple of weeks to install it as a permanent habit. But I'm I'm really excited. This has honestly convinced me. I'll tell you why I think it's really important for you. You are seriously one of the most articulate, thoughtful people I know. And I think if you're not capturing your ideas, 
it's a loss for you and it's a loss for everybody else. Well, honestly, um, thinking about having to write to the blank page and I don't, I don't really mind, um, thinking of ideas, but it just sort of feels open-ended. Like it's just going to go on forever. And to think about journaling your life just feels like a very daunting task, but I know how to answer questions. Totally. I mean, there's a difference between journaling and writing an autobiography. Right. But sometimes so it this is not feel that. like there's not a difference. And that's what keeps us from even trying. So I love the simplicity and kind of the boundaries of the template because it makes it just not seem uh, like such a big thing. You know, like, sure, I can do 15, 20 minutes of, of writing a day. That feels reasonable. So I know, I know how much you love paper and pens, too. So this I gives do. you a chance to use them. I know. I cannot In fact, wait. You can probably buy a new pen to do this. <gasps> just like yes. when you start a running habit. Right. You want to buy a new pair of shoes? Okay. So you got to buy a pen. I'm going to have to consult with the content team because we have some serious pen geeks and I have a feeling there's a whole new world out there world. since the last time I journaled. <laughs> Today, we've learned that journaling is an invaluable leadership tool for building self-awareness. And we've identified a simple five-step plan for getting started. As we come in for a landing, I just want to remind you that the best time to begin journaling is now. Join me, guys. Even if you've never done it before, it's never too late to start. So, Dad, any final thoughts? Yeah, if you're committed to being a self-aware leader, and I know you are, and I know those that are listening to this podcast are, you really have two, or at least two options. You can either go to therapy, (laughs) or you can get a journal. And trust me, this is cheaper and easier. So if you want to become more self-aware, journaling is a great way to do it. Fantastic. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes in a full transcript online at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. Also, please leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company, all rights reserved, and our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joel Miller and Lawrence Wilson. Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. And our intern is Winston. We invite you to join us next week for a new episode. Until then, lead to win. His little known secret He has an O with two dots above it. (laughs) We invite you to join us for another episode next week. Until then, what kind of promotion is that? (laughs) I don't think we know what we're doing next week yet.